Listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Laley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. Hopefully that will not be Donald Trump's theme song. <laughs> I can see Newt pumping his fist. Yeah. Well, it's always troubling when you see uh, Donald Trump exploiting a national holiday with the uh, with the biker, the bikers uh, standing up for the veterans supposedly well you know it increasingly uh bands uh have stepped forward to disallow yeah. candidates with whom they disagree uh from using their songs and uh i never cared much for the song eye of the tiger the survivor song the rocky theme song but i gained some admiration for that guy when they legally prevented dick cheney from using that song so <laughs> Yes, and uh, it's always bad too when when you have a, a, a national holiday and they appropriate a uh, a term from war to describe what they're doing that day. You know this biker thing, and uh, I think it was in the nation's capital. I actually forgot where. I sort of heard a sketchy report about it. I heard the guy interviewed, bikers for Trump uh, fellow. And, of course, he claimed that our priorities were keeping the Muslims out, building the wall, and taking care of our vets in that order. Uh, I think our country has different priorities from that. I certainly don't mind taking care of our vets. But uh, when you call uh, the campaign Operation Rolling Thunder, (laughs) you say to yourself, wait a minute, that was called the bombing campaign of Vietnam. And we have these vets' expenses because of Vietnam. Right. And we have the uh, vets' expenses because of Afghanistan. The United States has now been in Afghanistan for 37 years. <laughs> 37 years. Although the uh, you know official fatality, right, I just looked this up. Uh... And that's intervening in Afghanistan. Right. Yeah. But as of the years 2001... 2014, the uh, sort of quasi-official 
presence uh, sure. by the U.S. military there. Uh, 2,356 dead. Uh, the numbers wounded are quin you know quadruple that. Sure. And these are the costs that uh, you know endure, and uh, they're an obligation the country uh, has to pay. I mean, uh, the short shrift that the VA gets, um, it's underfunded, like most of the institutions in this country that are ostensibly there to help the people of this country, like schools and roads and hospitals for veterans. So it's uh, upsetting that... Uh, the the dead are the ones that get remembered on Memorial Day, but not those who are still coping with the injuries. Yeah, and survival. There are, there are, by the way, and because of improved technology, um, both on the ground with so-called MASH units, uh, mm -hmm. the famous TV show MASH from the seventies, uh, distinctly anti-war as a movie perspective, but it was about a MASH unit in during the Korean War. Um, Dealing with uh, the wounded on the ground, they're uh, much more capable now because of both technology and military expertise to ev evacuate many of the wounded. That means more people survive yes. serious injuries, but it also means that they will need continued assistance throughout the rest of their lives uh, because of these injuries. And, of course, I think there is also a misperception and mischaracterization of the veterans' system. Um, there's no doubt that there are problems in, at some veterans' hospitals. But uh, I frequently talk to a, a Vietnam vet that I know who gets treated in Ann Arbor, and he raves about how great the VA hospital is. So these facilities do vary. You don't want to paint things with a broad brush. Certainly there are problems. And, of course, post-traumatic stress syndrome is uh, with us more and more every day. Uh, interesting to hear, by the way, that there is a massive counteroffensive underway in Fallujah. Fallujah. Yeah. Uh, with also reports indicating that a counteroffensive in the city of Raqqa is perhaps about to take place as well. And these are Iraqi forces going in against ISIS. In yeah, Fallujah. in Fallujah. Now, in Raqqa, it's actually Syrian rebels with the assistance of the American commandos. The 200 that are there on the ground. But I think that, unfortunately, we forget regarding both the Iraq war and the Afghan war how long the United States has been involved in these mm -hmm. areas of the world. Uh, Donald Trump would have you believe that we've been doing nothing. Uh, and in fact, it's probably just the opposite. We've probably been doing too much. And certainly there have been a number of very prominent uh, rebel leaders of both al-Qaeda, the Taliban, and uh, ISIL that have been taken out in recent weeks, some with drone attacks some perhaps using other methods. I thought, by the way, that one of uh, Obama's greatest moments of his presidency occurred last week in Hiroshima. Uh, the speech he gave talking about war in general, uh, I thought was very poignant and one of the strong moments of his presidency. No president has gone there. No, and there was no apology but 
Well, you know, as far that's as all, apologies that's go, that's all technicalities, right? I mean, what <laughs> what would that even mean had he or anyone else offered it? It's it's a little late in the day for that. Yeah. It comes up a little short, so it's it's you know, hey, that's what happened, and here's something we can think about now. Sitting bull is too a, late. Going to have to give an apology for for killing General Custer, I think. Yeah. Uh, but uh, his speech, I thought, was uh, poignant, discussing the 71 years ago, the morning, when he asked, why do we come to this place, to Hiroshima? We come to ponder a terrible force unleashed in a not-so-distant past. We come to mourn the dead, including over 100,000 Japanese men, women, and children, thousands of Koreans, and a dozen Americans held prisoner. Their souls speak to us. They ask us to look inward, to take stock of who we are and what we might become. The world war that reached its brutal end in Hiroshima and Nagasaki was fought amongst the most powerful and wealthiest nations. Their civilizations have given us great cities, and magnificent art. Their thinkers had advanced the ideas of justice and harmony and truth. And yet the war grew out of the same base instinct that has caused conflicts among the simplest tribes, an old pattern amplified by new capabilities and without new restraints. And then he closed, that's just a couple of paragraphs, with these words, the world was forever changed here. But today the children of this city will go through their day in peace. What a precious thing that is. It is worth protecting and then extending to every child. That is a future we can choose, a future in which Hiroshima and Nagasaki are known not as the dawn of atomic warfare, but the start of our own moral awakening. And it would be perhaps proper on Memorial Day to contemplate those concepts of a moral awakening uh, with respect to war. Of course, the American government occupied Japan and occupies it today still. And uh, amazingly, just recently, there was a terrible incident in uh, Okinawa uh, where the predominant uh, American base in Japan is located involving the abduction, rape, and murder of a Japanese civilian woman by a former, quote-unquote, American military person. And that has complicated relations, but it's very troubling when you hear Donald Trump, for instance, suggesting that Japan be allowed to rearm. I believe it's Article 9 of their Constitution. I may be getting the article incorrect about Japan's use of military force. They've stayed out of these conflicts. And there's a reason why they've stayed out of these conflicts. And this, of course, is one of the reasons why there is no reason for America to, quote, apologize for what happened. Certainly the weapons were used to end the war abruptly 
historians have had many, many debates about the use of the atomic bomb to end the Second World War. But the end of the Second World War with a bang rather than the way the First World War ended with kind of a whimper. And the problems that immediately ensued. Ensued after the First World War. It's interesting, by the way, that the Germans and French just this week celebrated the 100th anniversary of Verdun, Mm. one of the longest battles of World War I. And it's just a reminder, uh, if you think about it, conceptually how far warfare has come in just 100 years the capability of these weapons the use of weapons of mass destruction in world war one with poison gas and whatnot at the time was shocking to human civilization wars in the 19th century were generally fought out in fields with combatants and civilians were sort of out of the picture. But that's no longer the case. And ISIL uh, does need to be destroyed. Uh, Their desperation is obvious. They are continuing suicide bombings throughout Iraq, and in some cases in Syria still. But uh, Donald Trump's claims that nothing's being done about ISIL, like so many of Donald Trump's claims, are false. Well, it proves that uh, he's either not paying attention or knows that those most likely to listen to him aren't really paying attention. And so he can say whatever he likes, of course. That's his seems to be his only real guiding precept. And it's troubling when he suggests to make America great again, he's going to burn more coal and dig for more oil. Apparently, he hasn't figured out even what fracking is all about and how the fracking boom has brought down the coal industry. <laughs> well, it's, you know... It's, In other words, the, this is a yeah. man who is clueless about so many things that it, it really continues to be shocking um, why he doesn't take a couple of weeks off and uh, go to a re-education camp somewhere. Uh, get some of Ben Carson's former advisors, or maybe even Ben Carson himself, to sharpen him up on a few things. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, by the way, there's been a big controversy, uh, continuing controversy about this email scandal, but I keep looking for what exactly happened. Uh, I, I kind of understand that Hillary Clinton had a private server, that this was sort of murky, whether this was legal or not. Previous secretaries of state had apparently used it. She wants all the emails released. Um, My own personal opinion about email is email is already a very problematic thing in our economy. It's very troubling when you hear, by the way, that some office workers spend 30% of their work week dealing with irrelevant emails. Junk email, yeah. Uh, I wonder how many of these emails are really... uh, interesting or quote-unquote secret, uh, it's been pretty well established that the sender of the email is responsible for the classification and the reclassification of some of these messages suggests not that there were a lot of secrets involved, but probably embarrassments. Many of these so-called reclassifications, by the way, if you actually go back and 
sort of dig out all of the minutiae of it. it. They involve negotiations with Israel's situation in the West Bank, and they involve Condoleezza Rice. So uh, the actual smoking guns are not quite there. It's quite clear that Hillary Clinton kind of went around the rules. But what the rules actually were and what the government's rules really are is sort of murky. Uh, this is in the sort of strange realm of the preservation of documents. Uh, well, this is more about she must have something to hide if it's not all made public to me right now. I mean, from yeah. from those who are pursuing this as a what is she hiding? What is she hiding? Trying to gain some sort of political advantage from that. It seems like slim pickings. I mean, what what is the likelihood that there's something that damaging there? Well, it's the infamous absence of evidence as well as the evidence of absence. Right. <laughs> there's, there's a kind there's of a much ado about not, not much. That much. And of course, uh, it's well established that the American government overclassifies documents to begin with. Uh, we learned this from the WikiLeaks that many of these documents are not really secrets. What? Why They're we embarrassments. Even, we learned that from the pumpkin papers. <laughs> oh, yes, the pumpkin papers. <laughs> not really all that classified. Well, and produced by Whitaker Chambers, just for the record. Uh, <laughs> Sorry about the tangent there. Yeah, yeah. Well, the pumpkin papers were his clever way of creating headlines. Uh, just for the record, uh, the pumpkin papers were microfilm that Whitaker Chambers stashed in a pumpkin that he hollowed out that he hid on his farm and they uh, allegedly were secret papers and uh, the HUAC uh, members including Nixon Nixon of course was conveniently on vacation in Panama when this happened so the famous South American tour for Ike the the uh, well actually he was in Congress but it was what was funny was that you know the cameras began to roll showing Nixon being summoned by the American military off off the coast of Panama in his black shoes and white socks and his Hawaiian shirt. And he came out and had a press conference. Of course, the head of HUAC claimed that uh, the pumpkin papers were documents, a stack that he quoted as saying three to four feet high. Uh, they turned out to be photographs of 58 pages. Not even an inch. So you can see how... Uh, hyperbole takes a big part in these yeah, things. Yeah, and it was a lot of hyperbole. And of course... I suspect that there's a lot of hyperbole in these emails. And there's a lot of mis about them. mysteries, I might add, about the production of the pumpkin papers by Chambers. They may well have been created as evidence uh, at the last second. They weren't actually... Stolen in 38, and Hiss had nothing to do with them. His initials just happened to be on three of them or something. But these were State Department documents, by the way, that uh, were widely circulated within the State Department at the time. It's nothing highly classified. Some of the documents uh, went to as many as 13 different offices, and all of the witnesses were unanimous. There was absolutely no security at the State Department in 1938. Uh, Whitaker Chambers, just for the record, did have a federal job at the time. Uh, and since he had a long record of stealing documents and blackmailing people and attempting to blackmail people, 
I've always assumed that the pumpkin papers are actually blackmail papers of some sort or uh, more likely anti-communist papers that are more resembling the Dreyfus case, if you know anything about the infamous conviction of captain, I think he was captain. French military officer. French military uh, officer who was Jewish. This was used as a anti-Semitic uh, scandal involving uh, the fact that he was a, I think at the time, the highest ranking Jew actually in the French military. But anyway, those historians have proven that those documents were forged. Right. Uh, and Chambers had a history of forging other documents, so make what you will of the pumpkin papers. But as for these emails, obviously there are some problems with Hillary Clinton's version of events. But where we get into the murkiness is what was allowed, what was prohibited, what was required, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, one thing that the report did say is that Hillary Clinton has actually been better than most of her predecessors about actually preserving the documents. And releasing them. Yeah, could we look at Condoleezza Rice's emails? Well, or for even, example, uh, even the emails involved in the Iran-Contra scandal. Uh, one of the reasons... The early days of email. Yeah, and I'm an eccentric. People are always like, why don't you have email? And I say, well, I read the footnotes of the Tower Commission report back when it was published in 1987. And in the appendix, Oliver North and John Poindexter have their emails printed. But we don't get to read the emails, quote-unquote. They weren't called email back then, by the way. They were called inter-office electronic mail. Email is a little email, sh yeah. shorter. But it was already being used in the government. And I kind of said to myself, it looks like emails can be used to frame people pretty easily. People love sending email. They don't like getting them, <laughs> right? That's another joke they say Sometime about Sometimes you send them too quick and too angry and have... And have regrets. Instant regrets. And uh, yes, there's... Who did I send that to again? Convenience involved. There's instantaneous messaging. Uh, I'm skeptical that most messages need to be instantaneous. But that's just my uh, difference with human civilization and how we approach time. But uh, emails, and I'm not hiding anything, but uh, 74 million people last year, I believe, uh, was the number, had their identities stolen by hackers. How did they get into those systems? Email. <laughs> so I think there's a big, big issue about email, but we're not talking about the right stuff about email. That's just my theory well, about the scandal. A, there's been a recent uptick. This has made the papers, uh, and some of our listeners, I'm sure, have experienced it, as people I know have. Uh, there's been a serious uptick lately in fraudulent activity on phones. Uh, sure. Cell phones, particularly, uh, obviously, since most people, fewer and fewer people have landlines anymore. Used to be uh, those were relatively, you know, robo-call-free and uh, scamster free, but increasingly, uh, especially from uh, a handful of countries, 
there's all sorts of hacking into uh, phones. Yes, and, and, and these things are not being dealt with by Congress, by the way. Um, I realize that... I think Trump has any ideas about what to do about these things? I doubt it. Well, he doesn't. He, he sees uh, Twittering and tweeting as a, as a new form of uh, his ability to, to you know, it's, it's stage, make an impression. It's micro-stagecraft. You know, he's winning the... Uh, the uh, social media war because, because he's, he's of exposure. Snarky. Well, and because of his, he's got the snarky attitude. If you read, and this is one of the reasons why online journals and newspapers are so difficult to read because of the comment section below. Any moron with an axe to grind, no matter how valid or articulate their point may be, uh, gets to rant and, and tear apart anybody who's commented previously or even attack them personally. And that's exactly Trump's uh, modus operandi. So he's a troll, and it's a perfect medium for him. Yeah, and his ability to tell the truth about various things is going to be part of the campaign. But I wanted to bring to people's attentions one of his infamous, uh, infamously inaccurate claims um, regarding his business practices. Uh, we, do, of course, know that he... Uh, not refusing to release his taxes, <clears throat> whether that continues to uh, work for him is, is is unclear. But it's interesting. Uh, the Trumps begin. He doesn't actually own, by the way, a lot of the hotels, uh, as as a journalist pointed out. He writes uh, Trump doesn't actually own the Trump Taj Mahal or the Trump Palace or Trump Place or Trump Plaza or Trump Park Avenue or Trump Soho or many of the Trump buildings throughout South America, Turkey, South Korea, and the Caucasus. Developers buy the use of his name because enough customers believe in it. It's not a question of ego. It's just that my name makes everything more successful, he says. Remember that one. <laughs> the Trump name was everywhere. So many deals... Dan Antonio, and it's the author of the book. I'm quoting from a October 22nd uh, edition of the London Review of Books. When Trump was the front runner, but he was about 24, 25% in the polls, the Trump name was everywhere. So many deals that Dan Antonio explains that lenders would kick in extra money for operating or upgrading a new property. And Trump needed the cash just to keep up with basic expenses. One of his executives admitted, quote, we never had any money on hand, unquote. That's why we had to keep doing more deals, unquote. Trump's company went bankrupt. He borrowed money on the strength of his future inheritance. His company went into bankruptcy again. He lost the yacht. He bought the yacht, by the way, to project the image that he could afford a yacht. When the stock market crashed on Black Monday, October 19th of 1987, Trump told the press that, of course, he'd seen it coming and had made $200 million. According to uh, Gwenda Blair, he'd actually lost $22 million. That's Donald Trump for you. It's all bluster. It's all bloviating. It's a big it, shell game. It's the head. It's the expanding... A ghostbuster. 
He is the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. <laughs> he is prancing and thrashing about in downtown Manhattan. I don't know if Zool is... <laughs> I think Zool is fully going, on board. Going to make an appearance at any time soon. At the convention. At the convention. There is no vice president, only Zool. <laughs> only Zool. And the three women that are now reprising the Ghostbusters. Well, actually, in addition to Zool, because what could be funnier, the, the name, and I laughed the first thing I heard it, the name Newt Gingrich is now being seriously floated as a VP, you know, likelihood. Or a candidate, at least. Well, they would at Trump. least be kind of even in the wife department. Right, yeah. That's... <laughs> Although I don't think anybody can top Newt's uh, cancer bed divorce proceedings for uh, all-time lows. <laughs> We're trying to impeach Bill Clinton while conducting, uh, an, affair. Another <laughs> conducting an affair on the side. But, it, you know, that's perhaps the extent to which uh, Gingrich's longtime financial backer, Sheldon Adelson, gets to say, well, my pick is Newt, now that he's officially thrown in his wad of cash and to the Trump bandwagon. By the way, those paragraphs that I did read were from the October 22nd edition of the London Review of Books article entitled Tycooniest by Deborah Friedel. She was reviewing a book, Never Enough, Donald Trump and the Pursuit of Success. Published by Thomas Dunn. Uh, this appears, by the way, to be a rather lengthy British uh, publication. Since uh, the book is not listed in dollars, you can always go to see London Review of Books at lrb.uk. It's a pretty easy website to remember. Uh, they always have some interesting observations about the zaniness of American politics. And Trump is zany. Well, and uh, the world is watching, I hasten to add there. And since you've mentioned a website, we've been given the two-minute warning here. I'm also going to mention uh, that this June 2nd has been declared Wear Orange Day. It's a national uh, gun violence awareness day, and the website's worth looking at, wearorange.org. As we've mentioned all too frequently down here, about 300 people are shot every day in the USA. Um, so that's a Memorial Day worthy of its own. Yes, indeed. And I am glad that it's about that and not orange is the new black. <laughs> no, June 2nd, Thursday, wear orange day. Look at the website. So anyway, we'll... And uh, thanks to uh, Andrew for engineering today's program. Yes, indeedy. And uh, we're going to wrap it up here as Yazoo City Calling gets uh, ready to rock and roll down in the studio with the down-home blues. It's interesting to note, by the way, on the practicality of Donald Trump's uh, conflicting claims about fossil fuels. It's interesting to note that last year there were 103,000 workers directly employed in oil and gas extraction in the United States and 68,000 working in coal mines, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. So that gives you about the, an example of the total number of jobs that are involved in fossil fuel production here in the United States. So when Donald Trump talks about bringing these jobs back, we're not talking about a lot of jobs anyway. 
Uh, this is highly uh, capital-intensive uh, type of economic production. 